Some of the topics discussed on Blackbird, an advocacy podcast, are difficult to hear. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to episode two of Blackbird, an advocacy podcast. I am your host, Sarah, alongside my always lovely and handsome co-host, Dan. Oh, hey, what's up? Anyone who knows me knows how obsessed with serial killers I am. The psychology behind what makes a serial murderer do the things he or she does is extremely interesting. So when news broke that we had a serial killer lurking in our own backyards here on Long Island, it goes without saying how intrigued and enthralled I was. But when I began to learn more about the case and the victims, my intrigue drew less away from the killer and more to the victims. Living on Long Island, Dan and I have frequented the beaches on Ocean Parkway quite a lot. Dan used to surf at Gilgo Beach, and we knew people who lived in Oak Beach. Hearing the news that numerous bodies were uncovered along these beaches hit home for us. I don't want to talk about the killer himself, partly because he has not been identified, but mainly because he does not deserve recognition. His victims do. On May 1st, 2010, at approximately 5 a.m., a terrifying 911 call came into the Suffolk County Police Department. Shannon Gilbert can be heard screaming for help, saying, They're trying to kill me. Dispatchers tried to figure out her location to send police, but Shannon could not give her exact location. She just kept screaming for help and could be heard running frantically. Her 911 call lasted 23 minutes. Shannon was on Oak Beach visiting a client. A neighbor heard her screams and saw her running around the same time as her 911 call. According to the former Suffolk Police Commissioner, Richard Dormer, Shannon had knocked on a couple of neighbors' doors before vanishing. One neighbor, Gus Coletti, placed a 911 call identifying their location. This 911 call from Shannon has never been released. Wow. Her mom couldn't even hear it. Her mom had asked to hear it, and they refused to give any information. So she wanted to hear it, and they wouldn't let her. Yes. That sucks. Yeah, they wouldn't give any information about this 911 call aside from the fact that it lasted 23 minutes, that she was screaming, running, asking for help, saying they're trying to kill me. She repeated that over and over. In 23 minutes of running and screaming, no one heard her. Or, or no one helped her, you know. Well, apparently every time she would run to a neighbor's door, um, and they would try to help her or assist her to come inside, they said that she would run away. Hmm. But she would be on the phone every time. Okay. She was still on the phone making this 911 call. Huh, that's interesting. So I'm not 100% sure why they would not release any parts of the 911 call. Um, the family hired an attorney uh, to try to get the fo- the phone call uh, right, released right. which i believe he won that but we still haven't heard anything that hasn't been released for public correct consumption yet yeah yeah, yeah. Huh. so we don't really know a hundred percent what's on that call right huh. yeah really interesting yeah yeah so on december 11th 2010 which was seven months after shannon's disappearance The search for her continued. The remains of a woman were found, but it was not Shannon. These are the remains of a woman named Melissa Bartholomew, who had gone missing in 2009. On December 13th, 
three more bodies were discovered along Ocean Parkway in the same area that Melissa's body was found. Yep, that's where we live. Yeah. These remains belong to Megan Waterman, Amber Lynn Costello, and Maureen Brainerd Barnes. It also amazes me that not only is this where we live, but this is where we used to, like, go to the beach. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, like, we would... We we were there among these sure burials Pot- yeah potentially you know above the sand yeah. you know or, or or 10 20 30 feet away from I mean, where they were buried or or even if not at that time then still to know that we were camping and making hot dogs right. and surfing or whatever in this place that has death in it right like, that's pretty crazy it's it's so uh, crazy to me yeah i mean when you grow up in a beach community like we are i mean mm-hmm. really all of long island is a beach community mm-hmm. especially yeah. especially if you're on either of the two shores and yeah. especially if you're on fire island right um it's a beach community so that's just part of our our lives right is boating you know beaching right making hot dogs playing frisbee yep. volleyball whatever yep, volleyball. So, yeah exactly you know yeah. you step foot on the beach we step foot on the beach and it's and it's a happy thought it's like ah oh, yes the sand between my toes the water the sun yes so yeah to think that there are now going to be people who when they step foot on the sand are going to associate that with the loss of a loved one right that's, right. that's a crazy thought and you know to give a little perspective to our listeners of what ocean parkway exactly is and looks like um ocean parkway is a huge stretch of road that abuts the the ocean the atlantic, yeah, ocean. The atlantic ocean on one side and the great and south, the great bay, south on the bay, bay on the other side it's one lane in each direction and it's maybe it, it, it's 60 feet from water to water right yeah exactly so if, if 20 feet of that is road there's a little strip of some some trees and sand in between mm-hmm. and then you've got 10 or 20 feet to right. the water on either side of that. Right. You know, it's it's not like you're on some big highway in L.A. or something like that. You right. Know? And, and yeah. then there, there's the houses that are, yeah. you know, intermixed between in all the different communities. Um, and it's very desolate at night. Oh, sure. Um, I've driven it at night and it's terrifying. Yeah. There are no lights. And it's just water. Yeah. So like, like the ocean. The ocean like, is that's... right there. Yeah. It's 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 not a it's a nice place, but it's it's scary when when you're driving there at night. There's something, nothing around. It's something that has to be respected for sure. Yes, um, but during the day, you know, people take Ocean Parkway as one of the main roads. You know, people are driving to work um, on on Ocean Parkway, so during the day, it's a pretty busy area. But at night, yeah, during the winter oh, time yeah. as well. well. I mean, it's just nobody's absolutely. going to the beach absolutely. in the winter. So it's, it is something to be respected, definitely, as as you mentioned, yeah. In April 2011, almost an entire year since Shannon's disappearance, more bodies were uncovered. The partially dismembered remains of Jessica Taylor, three unidentified females known only as Jane Doe number six, Jane Doe number seven, and Peaches, due to a tattoo found on the remains, an unidentified male known as John Doe, and the remains of a toddler known as Baby Doe, who was identified to be Peach's child. On December 13, 2011, exactly one year after the three bodies were found, and about a year and a half after Shannon's disappearance, the remains of Shannon Gilbert were finally found. But her remains were found in a different area than the other victims. She was found in a marshy area of Oak Beach, not buried like the other bodies. 
the Gilgo Four, as they call them, the first four bodies that were found, were wrapped in burlap. They were buried pretty much like in the sand, in, in, you know, in areas that are easy to bury a body. Shannon was found in a marsh. So they were speculating that they couldn't attribute Shannon's death to the killer who killed the Gilgo Four because they were found in different locations. Right. Which to me just sounds a little ridiculous because something may have happened. I mean, we got a 911 call from Shannon. She could have been running away from the killer and because of everything that was happening, he decided, okay, I'm going to kill her and I'm just going to dispose of her body here. Sure, I mean, stuff goes wrong. You know, you go to the grocery store and you realize you forgot the coupon and all right, well now I'm going to have to decide to either pay full price for that or I got to go home and... Right. You know, plans change even when you're committing murder. Uh, yeah, exactly. He, he probably had to adapt. Yes. That, and that's my personal opinion. You know, they haven't come out to say that. That's my opinion. So, but adaptation is a lot of times what a killer has to do. Sure, sure. I mean, it's not a natural thing, you know. Right. Uh, not in today's society anyway. Right, <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. On May 1st, 2012... The medical examiner determined Shannon's cause of death to be undetermined, much to the frustration of Shannon's family. The police department, however, said they would keep investigating the unusual nature of Shannon's death. There was speculation from the police that Shannon attempted to walk through the marshland, but due to how dense it was and her drug-fueled episode, as they called it, she succumbed to the elements, and that drowning could have been an official cause of death, though this was not specifically reported by the Emmy. They did not believe her death could be attributed to the serial killer that took the lives of the other victims found along the beach. They had also speculated that because it was cold and she was in the middle of the marsh that she may have gotten um, hypothermia. And when you suffer from hypothermia, um, a lot of times your body kind of tricks itself into thinking that it's actually hot. So you start to disrobe Right. Um, so when they found her remains, her clothes were not nearby. Well, they were nearby. They weren't with her um, remains. Her. Correct. Um, they actually found, uh, I believe a pair of jeans and something else that belonged to her about a week prior to finding her body, um, like feet away from her. Right. So they assumed that she was running into the marsh, disrobing as she was running in and couldn't get out. And then right. unfortunately died because of the elements yeah sure i mean obviously though that's difficult terrain you know you can yes. get your foot sucked down to some mud or whatever you can get caught you know if it's dark out and you hit your head on a branch you know it becomes very difficult for you to figure out what you're doing plus if you're in an unfamiliar environment yes i mean you know if you live in a wooded area you know the further you go into the woods away from your home the less familiar you are with the area and if right. you go far enough and you don't have a map or a compass or whatever, it can be tricky for you to figure out how to get back. So, yeah, yeah I mean, if, when you're running for your life, you're not really paying attention to where you're going. You're right. just running. Right, yeah, yeah. And uh, partly why they took so long to actually find her body was because the marshland over there is so thick. The, the thickets that are there are so dense that it actually took equipment and machinery to remove all of that stuff in order to get into where they 
ended up finding her. Yeah, sure. The, uh, the fire departments on Long Island, they all have what are called rush trucks. And they're because you can't get a fire engine through a lot of this wooded terrain. Yeah. So they have these trucks that are designed specifically to get through some of this stuff just to cut a path for the rest of the firefighters and equipment in the vehicles to get to certain areas. Right, right. Our apologies also if you are hearing any strange noises in the background. Uh, we usually have our dogs with us while we record and uh, they like to eat and play and jump around. So sorry if there are strange <laughs> noises in the background. Uh, but anyway, so due to the frustration uh, of not knowing the cause or manner of death uh, for Shannon, the Gilbert family hired a forensic pathologist in February of 2016 to review Shannon's case and perform an independent examination of her remains. Dr. Michael Baden noted in his report that there was no evidence of suspected drowning, but instead that evidence showed that Shannon had suffered injuries consistent with homicidal strangulation. He agreed with the earlier report that the cause of death could not be determined, but that it looked as though the manner could be homicide. Uh, so the difference between cause and manner of death really quickly is that the cause of death is the actual um, injury that uh, preceded the, the death itself. The manner of death is um, how it was committed. So homicide, suicide, um, accidental, undetermined, um, things like that. So just a little aside so you understand the difference between those two. So Baden explained that the larynx was missing and that the hyoid bone was missing what are called horns, which might happen in a case of strangulation. And just for a little context of how this can happen in a strangulation case, the mechanism of death in strangulation is cerebral hypoxia secondary to obstruction of the vessels which bring oxygenated blood to the brain. The carotid arteries are essential in this blood flow. They supply blood from the heart to the brain and they flow through the neck. So when you check your pulse in your neck, that's your carotid pulse. It takes approximately 11 pounds of force to compress the carotid arteries in order to occlude blood flow. Which is really not a whole lot. But with that amount of force, it is likely the hyoid will fracture. The hyoid bone sits just below the chin, and the horns are small horn-shaped sections which face backwards off of the hyoid. I cannot speak to why these and the larynx were missing, but I can speculate that they were fractured from the possible strangulation, and when the body decomposed, the small fractured areas were either scavenged by animals, taken by the wind, or buried deeper within the marsh. There's a lot that could have happened to these fractured pieces. Yeah, they could have been absorbed into the body during decomposition. Yeah. A lot of different speculative uh, manners as to what could have happened to this, these small pieces. Right, they, right. You know, fractures can be larger pieces or they could be very, very small pieces. Yeah, bone can shatter. And exactly. And if it shatters into small enough pieces, those pieces will easily dissolve into the natural fluids of the body. I yeah. mean, a living body has mechanisms that are designed specifically to reabsorb tissues like that, specifically bone fragments. You know, you've got parts in your body called osteoclasts that are designed specifically to dissolve your own bones when the body needs calcium. Now, obviously, when you're deceased, those uh, those parts aren't really 
working so much, but it's possible that residual activity and just the general acidity and basicness of the various bodily fluids right. are capable of taking those tiny, tiny little little bits mm -hmm. and, and just dissolving them and yeah. you can't find them. Yeah. I mean, when you decompose, all of the um, acid and bacteria from your body starts to um, eat away at other areas. Yep. So <clears throat> who knows what could have happened to those those small fractured pieces if indeed they were fractured which I think we can assume they probably were if they were missing. Yeah, and if they take such little force to break, then sure, right. sure absolutely. Especially, you know, if, if you are talking hypothetically about a homicide, that's a forceful event. Right. You know, yes. it, it's one thing to say like, oh, I fell and maybe I was trying to not hurt myself too badly. But, you know, when the goal is to hurt a person, right. the force is excessive. And right. so something that only takes 11 pounds of force to damage, you're going to use 20, 30, 50 pounds of force. Right. So. Exactly. Regardless of her cause of death, it seems there was more to the story with Shannon. Now, you see, all of these identified victims were sex workers, which in and of itself is not a huge deal and is important for victimology, but it became a centerpiece to this investigation and to the media storm that followed each discovery. Headlines like, New Jersey prostitutes remains not among eight bodies found at beach. Suffolk County ME, human remains not prostitutes. Shannon Gilbert, missing Jersey City prostitute, may be victim of serial killer. And police say Maine woman working as prostitute may be murder victim. Were plastered across newspapers and news sites. Aside from that casual mention of Shannon's name, none of these headlines explained that these victims were human lives that were stolen. The media latched on to the seduction that the sex industry brings to consumers and ran with that, which made readers believe they were disposable just as the killer believed. Oh, prostitutes? I'll read it, but I'll quickly move on to something else. The police even described these women as prostitutes in press conferences, and they explained Shannon was an escort who advertised on Craigslist. They also discussed that... The 911 call from Shannon was just her in a drug-fueled rage because she was at a client's house and she probably was doing drugs because she's a prostitute and she was just confused. Right. Well, unfortunately, because we don't have access to the 911 call, it's kind of hard for us to hear the manner of her speech, but I would right. tend to think it would be pretty obvious <clears throat> if someone was in a drug-fueled rage. Right. From, from their tone of voice right. and the clarity of their speech. I mean, if you're in a drug-fueled rage, much like being in a drunken stupor, you're not really going to be very clear. Yeah. Um, now, you know, you can make the argument that when you're running for your life and you're hypothermic or hyperthermic or, or injured or whatever, that you're probably not going to be speaking super clearly either. But I think it should be fairly obvious, especially to, like, you know, a seasoned homicide detective whether that's the case or not. Yeah. So it really is a shame that we don't have access to that transcript. It's also unfortunate because it took them so long to find her body. We weren't able to see any toxicology reports mm -hmm. from her. Um, you know, it's not easy to get that from bone. Right. You know, it, it's, it's, it's... No, for sure, yeah. I mean, it's very... It's not going to tell us anything <clears throat> about what was actually in her system. Yeah, there are very few effects of toxins on bone. Right. Mostly store in tissues. Right, you know, exactly. Things like that. And just because she was a sex worker doesn't mean that she herself was doing drugs that night. Maybe she was drugged. Right. 
you know. Oh, sure. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that she herself was the person administering the drugs to herself. Sure, I mean, if you she know, was on right. drugs. And, and I mean, you know, unfortunately, when you choose that line of work in Suffolk County, New York, you are choosing an illegal profession. Yeah. So. It, you know, it's like being, it, it's like choosing any illegal profession, mm -hmm. choosing to get involved in any kind of organized crime or anything like that. You, you kind of throw all the rules out the window. You know, when I go to work, I know that there are rules. You know, the right. law protects me because I'm conducting legal business. Right. Um, you know, so I know what to expect from other people. But, you know, if I chose to engage in illegal activity professionally, yes. all those rules go out the window. Yeah, it's a so, very vulnerable profession. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, if you go to work and you know that you have kind of a rival at work, like, he can't drug you because he'll go to jail, right. right? But if you're engaging in an illegal activity professionally, right. and you have a rival, he can drug you. It's difficult to come you, forward. He can do whatever. Exactly. So she absolutely may have been drugged. Right. And it's the kind of thing where you don't really think twice about it, mm -hmm. you know? Exactly. My question is, why did these headlines not read, Missing New Jersey Woman's Remains, Not Among Eight Bodies Found at Beach? Or Suffolk County ME, Human Remains Not Missing Woman's? Or Shannon Gilbert, Beloved Daughter, May Be Victim of Serial Killer? If the headlines talked about these women as daughters, sisters, mothers, humans... I think people would have cared more. More thoughts of, wait, I have a sister. This could have been my sister. And less of, prostitute? I don't associate with anyone like that. No one I know. I couldn't care less about these disposable individuals. These women were more than their professions. They were more than what the media portrayed them as. They were not disposable. They deserved, and still deserve, respect. Their lives were taken because their lives intertwined somehow with a sadistic murderer. They deserve dignity. So, who were they really? Shannon Maria Gilbert was born October 24, 1986, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. She grew up in Ellenville, New York, about two hours north of New York City. She was an extremely bright young woman and even graduated high school early. Her mother, Mari Gilbert, described her as being book smart. By the age of 20, she began working as an escort and moved to New Jersey to live with her boyfriend. But as her sister, Sherry, explained, Shannon had bigger dreams. She wanted to be a singer and was actively pursuing that while also going to school to become a writer. Unfortunately, Shannon's life also had a lot of strife. She was raised in foster care for a period of her childhood and was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. She decided not to continue taking her bipolar medication because she did not like the side effects, which happens a lot. You choose between, do you want to deal with the bipolar or do you want to deal with the side effects? Sure. I mean, that's the case in all pharmacology. Yes. Anytime you're taking a medicine, you know, even if you take a Tylenol, because like, oh, I got kind of a headache. I'm going to take a Tylenol for my headache. Well, it may make you drowsy. <clears throat> it may make you less able to, you know, perform playing a video game or something like that. You know, even something as simple as that. And then the more severe you go up into the medication, the more intense the effect is on the body and the biochemistry, the more you're left with that choice of like, hey, do I want to have a seizure or do I want to not really be able to, you know, sink a shot from downtown? Right. You know, you... Unfortunately, it's it's always a trade-off with medication, and right. yeah, the harsher the medication, the, the harsher that trade-off that you have to decide if you want to live with or not. Right. 
Right. You know, I actually I was just recently watching um, watching a documentary about um, schizophrenics mm. and medication that schizophrenics take, yeah. and um, the one one of them was saying that she was she was presented with the question, would you knowing all of the side effects of your medication, would you still choose to be schizophrenic? Mm -hmm. And she said that she might. Right. Because the side effects are just so debilitating. Yeah, yeah, it happens a lot that that people choose to just live with their disorder instead of taking their medications because they don't like who they are when they're on their medications. They don't like the way that they feel when they're on their medications. Um, but one thing I have to say, I didn't really come across a lot of articles saying that the reason she became a sex worker or the reason that she made that phone call was because she had bipolar disorder. So there's one, I guess, minor saving grace in this mm -hmm. that they didn't say that it was caused by her mental health Right. in that respect. She also, unfortunately, had gotten beat up so badly when she was younger that she needed a titanium plate inserted in her jaw. Jeez. Yeah. She overcame so much. Wow. To become this bright, vivacious, beautiful young woman who chose a profession that unfortunately made her a little bit vulnerable. more vulnerable. Yeah. Right. And you know, it it's it's a shame because we don't know these people personally. Right. We don't know what they went through. Right. I mean many people choose these kinds of professions because they either can't do anything else or they don't realize that they can do anything else. Right. And this is their best opportunity. You know, it's like the classic story of the the young woman who decides to become a stripper to send herself to college. Yes. Mm -hmm. She doesn't necessarily want to do that, but she can do it. Yeah. She's maybe good at it. Yeah. And more importantly, she realizes she's making maybe a ton of money right. doing it. And yeah. it's like, hey, I can do this for a few years put myself through college and then get a job that I really want to be doing. Exactly. And, and, and Shannon's dream was to be a singer and she was yeah. in school to become a writer. Right. So she had dreams. She had hopes for her yeah. future. Yeah. And it's easy for people to just judge these people yes. like, oh, she's choosing to do that because she's a bad person right. and she wants that. Because like, she went through all of this stuff in her life and that led her down right. this path. She's, and so she's broken now. Mm -hmm. Like, no, she wanted to do something else. Right. She's probably perfectly mentally fit or right. at least was when she first got into this. This may have broken her a little bit. But quite possibly, you know, you can't judge her for that. Right. And and more importantly, yeah, she she, you know, I would. I'm not an expert in the subject, but I would imagine that most people that are in that line of work really don't want to do it. They're not doing it because it's fun. Right. They're not doing it because it's a good time. Right. They're doing it because, again, they either can't do anything else, don't know about anything else that they can do, or just say, hey, you know what? It's an hour a couple of times a day, three days a week, and I make 500 bucks. Exactly. Like, that's more money than I make working 11 hours a day. Right. So, right. you know. Quick cash. <laughs> yeah. Quick cash. Exactly. But however sad her story became, she did not die in vain. She was just 23 years old when she died. Her disappearance led the police to finally uncovering the remains of so many other victims of Lisk and began the search for who this madman is. Shannon was a sister, daughter, friend, and catalyst to get this fire going. 
Mari kept that fire going, advocating for her daughter's case to be investigated further until her untimely death in 2016. Sherry now holds that torch and will not allow for her sister's memory to die. Melissa Bartholomew was born April 14, 1985, in Buffalo, New York. She was described as being outspoken and tough as a child and knew how to defend herself. She moved to Texas for a short while to live with her father and stepmother, but ended up back in Buffalo to finish out high school. She had aspirations of becoming a hairstylist and opening her own business. She is quoted as once saying to her mother, I want to take care of you and give you things you never had. She was ecstatic the day she graduated from beauty school and got her first job at Supercuts. She later got a job working in New York City and moved into a basement apartment in the Bronx with her boyfriend and their numerous cats. Hmm. She absolutely loved taking in strays. You know about that life. Yes. <laughs> Melissa was last seen on the afternoon of July 12, 2009. She was just 24 years old. Melissa was a sister, daughter, entrepreneur, and animal lover. Uh, yeah. Just a shame. I mean, you know, it's 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 a shame when any life any life is lost. But uh, when you hear about someone like that, I know. It's just that's just. I know. Megan Amelia Waterman was born on January eighteenth, nineteen eighty eight, in Portland, Maine, and grew up in Scarborough. Her mother, Lorraine Ela, told New York Magazine that Megan was quote fun, caring, a loving mom. Megan had gotten pregnant at 17 years old and moved back in with her mother. Their relationship began to thrive. Surveillance footage from the Holiday Inn Express in Hop Hog, New York, captured the last sighting of Megan in June of 2010. She was 22 years old, and her child was just four. Megan was a mother, daughter, and friend. Jeez, again, same thing, you know, a shame when any life is lost, but yes. someone like that, and now there's a four-year-old mm -hmm. <clears throat> without a mother, without a mother. and, you know, again, not that it's ever, like, acceptable, but, you know, when a, when a child loses their mother at a very, very young age, at months old, they can still maybe sort of have a normal life, you know, they can, but by the time you're four years old, you know your mom, yes. you know your brothers and sisters, if you've got them, you know your dad, you know this world, and when that's ripped from you, yeah at that age my goodness and she had just moved back in with her mom they were repairing their relationship you know good Jeez. things were happening and, and snuffed out by one one person's unforgivable act yes amber lynn costello was born february 10th 1983 in charlotte north carolina she was raised in the coastal city of wilmington she had been married twice and loved to spend time with her four nieces she moved to North Babylon, Long Island, where she was an active member of the First Baptist Church of Babylon. Reverend Wayne Griffiths said Amber was extremely generous and loved Christmas because she could show that generosity. He said she used her history of substance abuse issues to help others in the community. She had empathy, he said. She used these characteristics to help others. She went missing in September of 2010. She was 27 years old. Amber was a daughter, sister, and giver. Her sister, Kimberly Overstreet, said these parting words. When her soul left this earth, mine shattered. 
Maureen Brainerd Barnes was born June 14, 1982, in New London, Connecticut, and grew up in Groton. Melissa Ken, Maureen's sister, remembers that Maureen was an avid reader as a child and absolutely adored the Shel Silverstein books, The Giving Tree being her favorite, which is also mine. Hmm. Maureen would read to Melissa at night, helping her with her reading concerns. As Maureen got older, she began writing poetry and song lyrics. She also took care of Melissa after a car accident put her in the ICU. She was an extremely caring and helpful person who looked after her family. She worked as a card dealer at Foxwoods, and when she gave birth to her daughter, she became a stay-at-home mom with her then-husband. Melissa said Maureen was bubbly and outgoing and, quote, thought everyone was her friend. She was last seen in Manhattan on July 9, 2007. She was 25. Her children were 8 and 1. Maureen was a mother, sister, and friend. Not much is known about the remaining victims, but I will give their names and personas again. Jessica Taylor, who was born on June 17, 1983, was last seen in Manhattan on July 21, 2003. She was 20 years old. Jane Doe number 6 was 5 foot 2 and between the ages of 18 and 35. John Doe was a young Asian male between the ages of 17 and 23 years old. He was approximately 5 foot 6 and had a musculoskeletal disorder affecting his gait. His time of death is approximately 5 to 10 years prior to being discovered in 2011. He is believed to have lived as a woman. Peaches was a young African-American female. She was nicknamed Peaches due to having had a tattoo of two peaches, one with a bite taken out of it. Baby Doe was identified through DNA testing to be the child of Peaches. She was between the ages of 16 and 24 months. Her body had been found wrapped in a blanket with no visible signs of trauma. She was wearing gold earrings and a gold necklace, said to have been similar to that of what Peaches had been found wearing. Jane Doe, number seven, had a surgical scar on her left leg. Not much else is known about her. I will be posting photos of the locations where the remains and victims were found, as well as photos of the victims themselves and some other photos to help possibly identify them. And that concludes episode two of Blackbird. If you have a story you would like to share on Blackbird, please email us at blackbirdadvocacy at gmail.com. And don't forget to stop by and follow us on Instagram at Blackbird Advocacy. For all references used in this episode, please see show notes. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you will subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already. Be safe. Be aware of your surroundings, and continue to social distance if you can. Six feet, everybody. Flatten that curve. Thank you for listening.